welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Anybody glad to be in his house this morning? Man, I'm, I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord, and I'm glad to get to hang out with you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, just tell them this, say you're lucky you got to sit by me again today. They're lucky. They're blessed to be with you, and uh, I'm excited to get to, to bring the word of the Lord tomorrow, uh, today, but also kind of want to plug next week. You don't want to miss next week. It's going to be one of the first services where we tie all of the His Church campuses together, worship together, where we can worship together, uh, many spaces, one church all over the nation. Come on, let's give God a hand clap for the tech God's given us. It's going to be really cool, and... Um, we're blessed to have really one of the greatest leaders in the American church over the last 30 or 40 years is going to be speaking to us, and that's Pastor Willie George. And I describe Pastor Willie George as he is if uh, John Wayne were to do the faith message. He is the John Wayne of the faith message. All-American tough guy, uh, revolutionized kids' ministry in America. Then he revolutionized youth ministry in America. And then when the kind of church that we're in right now began to get stale, and lost its beat on where the culture was in America, Pastor George came to the rescue and, and, and helped America rework its church where it could touch the next generation. So I'm telling you, he's a general in the faith, an apostle in the faith. You don't want to miss next week. Come out. Uh, he, he's been known by many people as Gospel Bill was his kids' program. So come on, we're going hey, to have Gospel Bill here next week, and uh, we'll believe God that he won't go like Walker, Texas Ranger on us, all right? That's we're going to believe. But uh, I want us to pray, and then I want to talk today. I've been teaching and talking about worship the last few weeks, and I really believe this. I believe in our churches that we shouldn't show up just to watch, but we should show up to worship. Can I get an amen out there? Uh, I don't want us just to show up to watch. I want us to show up to worship. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but let's, let's go to the God who's worthy of our worship and prayer this morning. Come on. If you're comfortable with it, you may want to lift up a holy hand as we pray. Father, we, we lift up holy hands right now without wrath, without doubting, and we declare that we come to worship you. Lord, we say we're not one that watches, we're one that worships, and that you're the God that's worthy of all the worship, all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. We say you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's an honor honor to come into your presence through the name of Jesus. So Lord, we enter in now. We declare that our, our ear is open to your command. Our heart is open. Now let us see wondrous things from your law, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the church said, amen. Just turn to your neighbor and tell them this. Say, I came to worship, not to watch. Just tell them that. I came to worship, not to watch. Amen. You know, I kind of think as a culture, we're a culture that we've become used to watching. Uh, it's kind of in our DNA. It's been wired into us via our technology now. And instead of seeing what's going on around us, 
a lot of times we're looking down at our cell phones right now. If you're sitting by someone that's looking at a cell phone right now, stand up and point at them. No, no, don't do that. Uh, it's like, it's like right here, stand up and point at them. We're going to out you publicly today. And uh, it, it really is, it, it's, I'm trained to do it. We're all trained to do it, right? Steve Jobs came up with this iPhone, and iPhone had me from hello. I mean, it was like, it was like better than smoking cocaine first time I got my iPhone. It's like, this is incredible. And uh, not that smoking cocaine's a good long-term choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't do that. Just tell them that. But, but Jobs knew that it would hook us. And so he described and, and made up language that would dovetail with addiction language Whenever he started running his, his, his early team that he led in making the iPhone, he said, instead of calling them certain names, we're going to say everyone that uses our product, we'll call them users. Does that language sound familiar to anywhere else? Users. And once we hook them, we'll have them. And how many of you have to admit that your phone has more of you than you would like it to have. Let me see hands out there. Come on, let's confess our sins one to another that we may be healed, right? It's got you. If you pull out of the driveway without it, you feel like you've left your kidneys at home. You got to go back, right? It's like, it's like I'm not leaving. See, it's, it's got us. And it's trained us to watch here. And as we watch here, I've, I've kind of caught myself watching here and maybe not watching my kids when I should be watching them, right? I've been watching here, and I can walk by somebody that maybe needs not an encounter with me, but an encounter with the Jesus on the inside of me, right? And I'm looking here instead of looking out here. And I think it's kind of trained us to be spectators instead of being people that participate in the process. And if there's one thing that worship requires is worship requires our participation in the process, Whenever I think about somebody that was fully in participating in the process, I think about a man from the Old Testament by the name of King David. Now I want to talk to you today about the worship of David. If you have your Bible on you, I want you to go ahead and open it up to the book of Revelation. We're going to go to the book of Revelation, and we're going to start reading in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 and 8. And David's worship was so big Jesus is still talking about it when he writes to the churches of the book of Revelation. And he, he even talks about what he has, something that David had that now Jesus has in his hand. And uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, whenever you get there today, go ahead and say, uh-huh, if you're there, uh-huh. All right, all right, Revelation 3, verse 7, here's what it says. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, all right, the angel's not a literal angel, just so you know. It's the messenger of the church or the primary preaching elder of the church. Uh, angelos means messenger. Like I'm the angel or I'm the messenger of this church. It says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things say he was holy, he was true. He who has the key of, what's that name there? The key of David. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one's opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. This passage comes out of a, a time where Jesus is speaking to the churches of Asia Minor. And he shows up to these seven churches of Asia Minor that have been planted. And he starts telling the church what he likes about them and about what he has against them. 
Won't you know that Jesus is still a Jesus that will encourage us and lift us and speak kind words to us and help us? How many are thankful for the encouragement of Jesus in our life? Man, I'm thankful for that, right? I'm thankful for it. He's an encouraging Jesus. But he's also a Jesus that will show up and correct us. And then he would go to the other side, and America doesn't like being corrected anymore. He would show up and he'd say, and these things I have against you. And so you ought to read the book of Revelation if you want to see how Jesus would coach his church. Just read those first few chapters, and you'll see it. And he goes on, and, and, and Jesus says this. It says, he who's holy is here, and he who has the key of David. Come on, everybody say the key of David. I believe what the key of David is is the key of David ultimately is the gospel message that can open up the heart of man to touch God and allow God to touch man in a special way. And that key has come to all of our hearts. If you're out there and you're born again, come on, your heart has been touched and now you can touch God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that I'm not going to hell in the future, but I'm going to heaven. I'm thankful that my sins are removed as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. The gospel has changed me from the inside out. So I have the key of David. And one of the parts of the key of David is once God's touched your heart, your heart is opened up to worship. I believe that worship is an is a unbelievable part of connecting to God. And so when I go to our churches in America, and I'm, I'm privileged to get to preach and stand in a lot of pulpits all around the nation, and a lot of times I'm worshiping, but as a leader, I'm also spectating. I'm seeing what's happening in the crowd. You might catch me up front. Sometimes I turn around, and I just look at the crowd, and I'm watching to see what's happening. Now, I'm doing that for a couple of things. I'm, I'm doing it, one, to see if I got a word for somebody, but another just to see, is, is the crowd connecting to God in the worship? Are we leading them appropriately? Are they entering in? Is it become a concert or is it all about him? And uh, I'm thankful for all of our technology. We're going to keep getting better technology. Screens are great. Lights are great. All of that's great. But come on, we didn't come to church to have a concert. We came to church to connect with an almighty God who has saved us, redeemed us, healed us, delivered us, and loves us. And I'm not going to accept anything less for his church. Can I get an amen? We are a people of worship. We have the key of David. And if you'll become a worshiper, I'm telling you, God will lift you to places you never thought you could go in life. Think about young David. Here's kind of what David's life looks like. David, for all intents purposes, was considered a nobody. He was a nobody. Even in his household, he was considered a nobody. A lot of scholars believe that David was the Ill illegitimate child between Jesse and maybe one of Jesse's servants. And because of that, I believe that, but it is, there's room for argument on both sides, all right? It's not a hard and fast doctrine, it's what I believe. And if you'll look, Jesse discounts David. The prophet shows up and says, hey, the next king of Israel is coming out of your household, Jesse. Just imagine if the most powerful prophet in the land called the, the father up in your household on the phone and said, hey, I'm coming to your house tonight. Let's say if it was Dr. Billy Graham. Gives you a call, right? I'm coming to your house tonight. God's given me a word. One of your sons is going to be the next president of the United States of America. Now, I want you to get a feast ready 
I want you to lay out some food, and I want you to get everybody ready. How many know that house is going to be busy that day getting some stuff done, right? Boys are going to be flossing their teeth for the first time in six or seven months, right? Shirts are going to be ironed. Everything is going to be pressed. Everybody's going to the barber, getting their hair cut, or the beauty shop, or wherever you're getting out the Floby, wherever you go, you know. And, um, and then he walks in, and, and it's on. Well, that's what it was like. So Jesse calls all of his boys. The prophet comes in. And the prophet starts looking at the boys to see who's going to be the next king of Israel. He goes to the first boy, and he's a good-looking, tall, model-like looking guy, kind of look like me. And he, he, looks at, he looks at him, and um, everybody thought this has to be the guy, right? He's the looker. He's the guy. He's got to be the guy. And the prophet says, no, Spirit of God says, no, I've rejected him. Now, he didn't reject him as a person, Right? He had value as a person, but he rejected him for a specific calling. How many know all of us aren't called to everything? Can I get an amen out there? We still have great value in our lane, but we have to be in our lane. He goes to the next guy, now this isn't the one. The next guy, now this isn't the one. Goes all the way through his sons, and then he turns around and he looks at Jesse, and he says, Jesse, did you bring all of your sons to the sacrifice? And it was a prophetic indictment when he asked that question. See, he was commanded by the prophet to bring them all. And he said, well, I brought them all, but, you know, there's this one kid that kind of hangs out, out back on the farm. I use him to watch the sheep. He's always singing and writing songs and beatboxing, and he's got, like, this harp he carries around. It kind of embarrasses me. And, uh, uh, but if you want him, I'll bring him. The prophet says, nobody sets down. Everybody's going to stand. It's awkward, isn't it? Imagine being there. Everybody stands till young David shows up. Young David shows up. The prophet says this, that man looks on the outward appearance, but God's not looking on our outward appearance. God's not looking on your hairdo. God's not looking at your sneakers. Come on, somebody. God's not looking at, at, at you know, what kind of clothes you're wearing. God's not checking out your Hawaiian shirt. He doesn't care about that. He's not looking on the outward appearance. Where's he looking at? He's looking at the heart. Young David shows up, and the prophet prophesies, thus saith the Lord, here's the next king of Israel. And then he opens up a flask of oil. He pours it over David. David is anointed at 17. He won't fully see it come to pass till he's almost 40 years of age because that's the way prophecy works. Come on. You, you get prophesied from the pit to the palace, but there's a process in the middle of it. We ought to give God a hand clap because we're going to make it through the process of God. Amen. Here's what I want you to see. I believe what he saw on the inside of David so he saw a heart of worship. And a heart of worship is something that God wants to promote. A heart of worship is something that God wants to lift. A heart of worship is something that God is seeking. Jesus said this, that the Spirit of God is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. If you become a worshiper, you don't have to look for God. I'm here to tell you, God is already looking for you, and he is well able to find you no matter where you are. Here's what I'll say is that becoming a worshiper will take you from being a nobody, and it'll make you a somebody. David looked like a nobody to the world, and God touched him, lifted him up because of his heart of worship, and made him a somebody. You may 
may, you may be a person that the world would look at and they'd say, you don't have the right pedigree. You're not from the right family. You don't have enough money. You don't have the right education. You're from the wrong city. You are a nobody. But God can cut through all of that and see a heart of worship. And he'll say, I'm going to lift you up regardless of what the world says. And I will make you a somebody because your heart pleases me. When we worship, we are a somebody. Come on, somebody. You worshipers out there, you're not a nobody. You're a somebody, and the hand of God is on your life. Come on, look to your neighbor. Just tell them you're a somebody. Tell them that. You're here on Sunday morning. You are a somebody in him. Second thing I see that worship will do is worship will get you a seat amongst great people. Whenever you're a worshiper, worshiper, you already get seated before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How many know there's nobody greater than him, amen? We enter into his courts with, with praise and enter into his, into his gates with worship and thanksgiving. I'm telling you, we can go right into access to the strongest leader in the, in the world that's ever existed, Jesus Christ himself. And worship gets you that kind of access to him. I'm telling you, I, I can't think of the times that the Spirit of God has spoken to me in worship. Whenever I'm, I'm entering in, I'm lifting my hands, I'm focused on him, I'm tuned into heaven. Man, I got, a, I got an audience with the king whenever I worship. Well, David got an audience with some great men early on in life simply because he was a worshiper. You know, the king before David was a man by the name of Saul, King Saul. And King Saul, whenever he was chosen to be the king of Israel, he really was a humble guy, uh, maybe a little fearful, the prophet came and picked him out and said, you're going to be the guy that's going to lead Israel. And now don't think of Israel as a nation whenever Saul comes on the scene. We confuse people when we call it the nation of Israel. It was far from a nation. It was a ragtag group of 12 tribes that were only connected by the Abraham the Bim being their descendants. But there was no governing authority that worked at the time. That's why Saul was called to the scene. And the prophet comes and says, you'll be the king. And he says, I don't want it. Take it. Take the job to somebody else. You've got the wrong guy. And uh, he has the right heart for a period of time. But as he becomes effective and begins to put these groups together, he begins to think that he had done these things and God hadn't done these things through him. you got to be careful when God gives you a measure of success in life. Because a measure of success can make you think you've done something in your own strength and ability. And without God's hand upon us, how many of you know, apart from him, we can do nothing. Amen? Saul starts believing what they say about him. Starts thinking, I'm this great leader. And I can get away with whatever I can get away with. And there was a law in the Old Testament that says the only person that could burn a sacrifice to God was the priest. The guy that was called to be the priest, not the king, nobody else, not, not the head of an army, right? Kings take ground and get a hold of resources, but priests burn offerings and connect a nation with God. And they were going out to war, and Saul knew before you go out to war, you burn an offering to God. And he wanted that offering burnt. And so the priest was coming. He was a priest and a prophet. Knowing his way there, he gets detained for some reason. I don't know, he probably flew through DFW or was flying with American, and they, they have all kinds of problems, I promise you. Um, he was probably stuck in DFW and couldn't get there, and uh, then what happened is he gets ahead of himself, and he decides, I can burn the offering, I'm the king. 
And he gets over out of his kingly anointing and tries to play the priest. Whenever he burns that offering, he brings judgment upon himself. It's very important in life that we stay in the lanes that God's called us to be in. Does that make sense? Very, very important. You know, I've watched uh, guys that fall into this trap in the church. A lot of times preachers will fall into this trap because preachers will say, hey, if I can lead in a congregation and take care of these people and, and make thousands of people happy that are always mad about something and, and build a big ministry, surely I could go into the business world, make money, and, and not deal with all these headaches and let somebody else pastor you bunch of crazy people, right? That's what, that's what they say. And they'll get out of their lane and they'll get over into business. And I'll watch it. They drop like flies when they do that. I don't believe God kills them or anything. I just think they get out of their lane and that protection lifts. And then I've seen a lot of business guys, people that lead in those kind of areas in life, say, well, if I can do it well over here, then I'm a spiritual man. I ought to be able to do it over here. And then they'll come over in this lane and they destroy, they crash and burn. They've been successful over here and now they tank over here. Why? Because God's graced us to do a certain thing. Can I get an amen out there? If we'll find our flow and get in it, God will bless it. But if you get out of that flow, it's messed up. And really, all of these different offices are supposed to work together. Come on, we're all a part of the same body. And if we'll work together and we'll get our gifts, our callings, our abilities in the same lane, I believe in headed in the same direction, I believe that we can work together, prophets, priests, kings, people, and we can build the greatest church that America has ever seen. I believe God can use us to touch cities and to speak to nations and that we don't have to be isolated. Come on, we can do something if we'll work together. But he messes, he messes this up. The Bible says he gets so full of pride that the spirit of the Lord eventually departs from Saul, lifts off of his life. Scripture says that. It's a sad scripture. Saul had the spirit of God upon his life, and then it departs from him. And, uh, and then it says an evil spirit would come. See, whenever the spirit of God departs, the door's open for anything that wants to step in and mess with you. And so then an evil spirit steps in. Some of the saddest people I know are people who were in the kingdom and in the things of God, and really were leading and touching the presence of God. And then they turn their back and they walk out of the church. And I've watched the destruction that follows what they do in their life. It always breaks my heart as a pastor. So this evil spirit comes to Saul and begins to vex him, begins to torment him. Kind of looks like, if you read the scripture, looks like he becomes almost like a, a paranoid schizophrenic would be kind of the terminology that I know. I mean, I, I got layman terms. But he would be for somebody for a moment. The next moment, he's trying to have them assassinated. He's happy one moment. The next moment, he's depressed. He's like, he's up. Everything's great. The next moment, he wishes he was dead. And so they said, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll find somebody that is skilled in worship. And we'll bring a worshiper. And whenever that tormenting thing comes upon Saul, what we'll do is we'll have a worshiper play music before the Lord, and the presence of the Lord will drive out that tormenting thing. And I'll tell you what they did. They went and they searched through the land, and they found Gesu. They found young David and his heart. And David would come in. And David, because of his worship, 
got a seat in the presence of the highest office in the land. God took that nobody, made him a somebody, and now David is in the court of the king. I'm telling you, God will lift you and give you a seat among the mighty and a voice among the mighty if you'll be a person that worships him first and honors him first above anybody else. That's the kind of lifting God does in your life. You know, recently, my, my favorite preacher in America I've got several favorite preachers, but one of my favorite preachers is Pastor Jensen Franklin. Anybody ever heard Pastor Jensen preach out there? I mean, he's like the best. I'll go to, I'll go to pastor conferences where he's preaching, and when he's preaching, you know, I get, I get saved again. I get born again again. I laugh. I cry. I, I fall out. I get myself up. I fall out again. He's just, he's so good, right? And uh, he's from Gainesville, Georgia. Took a little church of like nobody in Gainesville, Georgia, Pastor Jensen started out, he's the son of a preacher, and he'd play the sax, lead worship from a saxophone, and preach. And now Gainesville, Georgia is like nowhere. It's outside of Atlanta. Atlanta's getting closer to it, but it, it would be a town a lot like the town we live in, right? I mean, you go around the world, you tell people you're from Owensboro, Kentucky, and they're like, where's that, right? Take it a step further, I tell them where I grew up, Providence, Kentucky, and they're like, never heard of it, right? Well, Gainesville's a lot like that. And Jensen went and took a church in Gainesville, Georgia. He's been faithful to worship, praise God, preach the gospel, lead churches. Just a man of worship, clean living man, man that fasts a lot and prays a lot. And over the course of the last few years, God's taken a little bitty preacher out of Gainesville, Georgia, given him favor with the White House, the United States of America. And you'll look now in Jensen's going. Whether you like President Trump or don't like, don't like him, that's not what this is about. I'm talking how long has it been since a president in the White House has been calling for a Pentecostal preacher from an obscure town to come and pray for him and help make decisions. And I had friends that were in a meeting with President Trump, some of the other cabinet uh, members and representatives from the Palestinian Authority, and also for Israel, Right? Y'all ever notice there's a little tension between the Palestinian Authority and Israel? Just a little, little problem over there? And I'll tell you, that problem's not going to be totally reconciled until the Prince of Peace comes back and straightens it up. And I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Can I get an amen? But until then, I think we ought to do everything in our power to have peace as people. Right? We're people of peace. We want peace first. And they're putting this plan together on what they're going to do with Israel and Palestine. And the president looks at it. The president looks over at Jensen Franklin in the midst of this meeting and says, Pastor Jensen, is this plan okay with you? How amazing is it that a preacher from Gainesville, Georgia, was looked at to get a nod about a plan that would affect the Holy Land and, and affect the future of the Palestinians and the Israelis, that somebody like that ever gets a nod. How does Jensen get a position like that? Well, he gets in a position like that by becoming a man of worship and a person of worship. And I'm telling you, if you'll be a person of worship, God will lift you up and set you in places you never thought you would go to before. I'm not saying we're all going to the White House, but come on, there's somebody out there that our worship and our faith is supposed to influence it and God might as well use us. Somebody give God a hand clap if you think worship will bring you higher in life. It'll bring you higher. The next thing I see about worship is worship brings deliverance into people's lives. Come on, everybody say deliverance. You know, Saul, he's, he's vexed with this devil. Young David comes in, plays that harp.
Man, when he plays that harp, there'll be peace that comes into the room. I love to get in the presence of the Spirit of God and the people of God, corporate worship. I can't tell you how many times that I've had something that was really bothering me. Right? Stuff bothers me too. I'm not immune from that because I'm a preacher. I live in the same fallen world you live in. Stuff bothers me. Things bother me. People sometimes bother me. And some of the best relief I've ever received is coming in when worship's playing. Y'all go ahead and just start playing that keyboard for a moment. When, when worship's playing, people are together. Man, lifting up your hands and just, just letting God wash over you. I'm telling you, if you become a person of worship, I don't think anxiety has a chance against you. I don't believe depression has a chance against you. Huh? I don't think suicidal thoughts have a chance against an atmosphere of worship. I believe that that, that presence of God moves in and those problems, they have to move out. I'm telling you, you can get so much deliverance just becoming a person of worship. It's so, so powerful. Worshiping Him. David worships himself all the way to becoming the king of the nation of Israel. You know, I'm telling you, David was the king that brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. It's funny, the very Ark of God, the the throne of God, under Saul's reign, he'd become so backslidden that, that it was taken by a foreign army, taken outside of the camp of Israel. It's the throne of God, taken from the temple. They left it out there. Saul didn't even go after it. David's first act of business was go get the ark, bring it and set it up on the Temple Mount in the midst of Jerusalem. And he hired worshipers and he brought people and musicians. They got all around. It's called the Tabernacle of David. The Bible says God said it was his favorite place on the earth. Tabernacle of David. Why? It's a place where man worshiped God without hindrance, without wall, without, without anything separating us from the ark. It was just up there. You could walk around Jerusalem and you could look up on the Temple Mount and you could see people worshiping 24 hours a day, seven days a week under David's administration. It's amazing. I want to live a life that honors God. I want to live a life of worship. Somebody gave me an incredible, awesome birthday gift a few years back. And if you're thinking about buying me birthday gifts, I'll just give you an idea. Like, here's, here's a great idea, all right? They bought me, they bought me tickets to go watch uh, Conor McGregor fight Floyd Mayweather. Come on. How many of you guys think that's like, it's hard to beat that birthday gift, isn't it? So, so I, I go in there, and um, I, get, I get seated, and I, I'm seated by another, uh, by another uh, former MMA champion where my seats were. And I'm watching, right? I'm there watching this fight. And this fight's awesome. And uh, the, the, the other champion is right there by me. I just I forgot his name. I called him by the wrong name twice during the fight. And uh, I'm like, please don't choke me out or kill me now, right? Just let, let, let me go. But it was uh, Forrest Griffin was there sitting by me. And right, I'm there watching the fight because I'm not a boxer. Right, I, I, don't, I don't know anything technical about boxing. I know I like to watch them trade licks, right? Uh, that's what I like. But I'm not a boxer. I'm not a fighter. Uh, but Forrest is the former heavyweight or, or lightweight champion in his division. And so while these guys are fighting, man, the whole time they're fighting, Forrest is up on his feet. 
Man, he's in like a defensive position. He's jerking and moving and he's coaching and he's screaming at McGregor what to do. And he came there to work. I came there to watch. And I think a lot of times we come to church and there's some people that are there to worship and there's other people that are there to watch. And what God's calling us all to is not to be watchers, but to be worshipers. Come on. He's seeking somebody to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's stand up on our feet and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. Come on, somebody ought to take a praise break. Let's clap our hands. Let's lift our voices. Let's tell him he's worthy. Come on. I never want to leave. We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We magnify you. Let's enter in today. that today. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else. Come on, let's just lift a hand to heaven for one moment. Just begin to talk to Jesus right there where you are. Let's thank him for a a moment this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our life. Lord, we thank you that even though we were lost, now we've been found. Come on, thank him for your salvation this morning. We thank you that we've been forgiven. I'm so thankful that somebody like you would spend time with somebody like me. Lord, thank you for that. 
I thank you today that you're our healer. I thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us in our sicknesses. You don't leave us in our infirmities. But you said, I will come and I will heal them. Lord, I thank you that you're bigger than depression. I curse it in our midst. I thank you that the joy of the Lord is my brother's and my sister's strength. Lord, I thank you for the anointing of God that comes to each and every one of us. Come on, just lift a hand. Receive a fresh anointing. I declare the anointing of worship, an anointing of praise, an anointing of joy, an anointing of gladness. Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation. I declare it. You're not, you're not depressed. You're not down. You're not out. You're full of joy and victory and power and blessing. Lord, I bless these, your people. And Father, I pray that a spirit of worship and praise would dwell in this house, that it would attract others to it. Lord, I thank you for it. Now, Lord, I bless this congregation as their shepherd, as their leader, as their pastor. Lord, I thank you that you bless each and every one of them. I pray you lead, guide, and direct us. Lord, I, I don't want Sunday just to be the day we worship. I want our life to be a life of worship. Lord, we pray that. We declare we didn't come to watch. We came to worship in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Come on, let's give the Lord a, a one more hand clap.